Good morning. First place, I'd like to thank God for being here to get to know my spiritual family. The lesson that I've prepared speaks a lot about things that we went through during the pandemic. This lesson helped me a lot. I was able to share this message with a lot of other members of our family, other brethren of ours. I live in Brazil. I have two daughters and five grandkids that all live here in the United States. I have children that live in Sao Paulo, but I live in the interior. I'm a father who's, who is worried about his children and his grandchildren. And so I have to, con, uh, to trust completely that God is in control and taking care of all things. And this helped me, strengthened me, and helped me to be able to strengthen and encourage other families as well. And I thank God for all of that. A little bit of context about what has happened. In Brazil, some states don't have a, a health system that's very adequate. And during what was perhaps the worst period of the, of the pandemic, when people needed oxygen cylinders, unfortunately there's a lot of corruption in Brazil, and oxygen cylinders were being uh, detoured from their intended destination and not getting to the people who actually needed them. And I prayed to God that he would be able to help those people who really needed the oxygen. This lesson today talks about trusting in God, having the absolute certainty that he's in control of all things, and that he's always going to act to the benefit of his people. The text that we just read, 1 Peter 5, 8-11, we're going to talk about at the end. But I wanted to start by sharing with you a little bit about a man named Job, the servant of God, faithful to God. What I think is incredible in the book of Job is how God himself expresses himself talking about the character of Job. We're going to look at these things together. In Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, there's some information about him that helps us to admire him and helps us to have a good example for our own lives before the Lord. Job was a man who was blameless and upright. He feared God. He shunned evil. He had a family with 10 children, had a lot of riches. He was the greatest of all the people of the East. His family was always together, united. It shows us the picture of a, of a united and a happy family. That's a hard challenge for us. Job really liked that his family was together. Job was always worried, though, that maybe his children had blasphemed against God or had some sort of sin. So he regularly offered sacrifices on their behalf to God for himself and for his children. And he sanctified them, and he's a great example. We ought to sacrifice for our children. We ought to give the best that we have to him and to them. And we ought to be worried about how our children are doing, especially with respect to the things of God. Verses 6 through 11, the, the Word of God tells us that Satan came before God. And God asked Satan, what do you think about my servant Job? And Satan accused uh, Job of obeying God only because God had blessed him so well. Remember what we read earlier in 1 Peter chapter 5. The devil is walking around looking for someone to devour. And when we realize that he was watching Job, we realize that Satan is watching us also every day, looking for our weaknesses. So Satan put up before God that Job was only faithful or only obeyed him because God had given him so many good things. What did Satan say? What Satan understood is there is a tendency among people to seek God only for the benefit of physical things. That's not the case with Job. God allowed Job to be tested by taking away his children and his riches. He even allowed him to attack his physical health. Job suffered greatly, but even in his suffering, never did he charge God or blaspheme against God. With all that was happening to him, the text is very clear that his faith was not based on his goods that he had, his possessions, didn't have anything to do with his family, and didn't depend on his physical health. That was important to him. When we see everything that happened to Job, it's hard for us to imagine, lose everything that we have in just one day. Your house, all your riches, even your children. Try to put yourself in his place. Just for a moment, how hard would that have been for us? But we recognize that even in that, Job just kept worshiping God. 
Most people, maybe even most of us, would plunge into a deep depression, maybe even <laughs> contemplate suicide. We had lost so much in one day. Job didn't do that. In God's Word, God described and emphasized four qualities of Job that are very important for us to evaluate. The first one is that Job was blameless. He was a man of character, dignity, and honesty. Things that God looks for in His servants. He said Job was also an upright man. What does this mean? In all of his daily circumstance, Job was firm in his decisions, just and righteous, always. He was a perfect example of a good citizen. He was a great servant of God. He also, God also said that Job feared God. This phrase in the Bible always talks about someone who is a faithful servant of God. And finally, he said that Job shunned evil. So his faith in God was visible in the way that he chose to live his life as he avoided evil at all costs. Something I think is incredible as we begin to look at verse 8. In verse 8, it's God himself. It's God himself who begins to talk about the great qualities of Job. The Lord asked Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, blameless and upright man who, have, who fears God and shuns evil. These words are from God. Yeah. Think about how good it is for us to receive this kind of praise from, from just anybody. But praise like this coming from God? God who knows our thoughts and our hearts. I'm a little bit envious of Job. I wish I could get this kind of praise from God. I'm working for that. <laughs> this man is a good man and he's shunning evil. So why is he suffering? God never promised that he would keep us from physical suffering. God promised he would be with us in the critical moments of our lives. As we look at this situation with Job, we can see that God and Satan know exactly what's about to happen. God and Satan know exactly what's about to happen. Job doesn't know anything. God and Satan are aware Job is complete, completely surprised by this. And how often in our own lives are we not just taken completely by surprise by something? I've always seen in this text that God is giving Job an opportunity to glorify God's name. Job doesn't know that. That's what he did. He ended up glorifying God through all the things that he went through, all the things that he suffered. So what can we learn from these things that Job experienced? God is always in control. It doesn't matter what happens. There's no coincidences. There is nothing that happens by chance. And God is not going to be surprised by what happens with his servant. Never. God knows exactly what's going to happen and what happens with all of us. We also see that Job was a man who believed in the Lord. He knew that God was in control of all things, especially of his own life. He trusted that God was in control even though he had no way of knowing why all these terrible things were happening in his life. But I believe the thing that was important to Job was knowing that God was with him. And that made the difference. As we look at this, how should we learn to deal with our tribulations? Troubles will come. Maybe they're a consequence of our own choices. Could be for things that are completely other, uh, out of our hands. Maybe a pandemic that overtakes the world, for example. Something that just got out of control and we had no control over it at all. When that happens, we must be like Job, trusting in the Lord. Entering into a process of prayer and confidence absolutely in God who has control of all things. God provides another example of how to deal with tribulation in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles 21 through 30 is the story. This text is going to show a victory that Jehoshaphat had over his enemies. But the way all of this transpired is really impressive to me. First couple of verses, we see that a multitude of people coming from Moab, Ammon, and Edom had joined forces to try to invade Judah. Jehoshaphat was fearful, but in his fear, he sought the Lord. He proclaimed a fast throughout the whole nation. And all of Judah and all of Jerusalem gathered together to seek the Lord and seek His help. I like this text. Why? Because it shows all the people together praying and seeking for the help of the Lord. If God accepts the, the prayer of a just man, 
How much more many righteous praying together seeking his help. Jehoshaphat quickly realizes that God is sovereign, that he has the, the dominion over all things, and his power and his might no one can resist. In verses 6 through 8. In verse 9, Jehoshaphat is certain that God can hear and will answer. Second Chronicles 20, verse 9. If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Verse 9 is a promise that God had already made through King Solomon, that God would be listening for the prayers of his people, even if there should be famine or pestilence, even if there should be a sword of judgment against them. So Jehoshaphat, aware of this promise of God, used the resource of this prayer as he prayed about God's deliverance. God responds through Jehaziel, through all the people. God brought them comfort, saying, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. That's in verse 15. It's good to know that when we don't have the resources or our own conditions to deal with our problems, that the battle is the Lord's. He's the one who's going to bring the solution to our problems. The people needed merely to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord in their favor. Because the fight was not theirs, God was going to fight it for them. We're almost to the end of this pandemic. To, to me, it seems like it's already gone. Was it the vaccine that brought us this far? No. God brought us here. The vaccine helps alleviate some of the symptoms, but it doesn't keep us from catching it. It's God who's fighting our battles for us, and I'm thankful to God for that. Let's look at the attitude of Jehoshaphat and his people. They all bowed down and, and placed their faces on the ground as they worshiped God while they waited for his response. The Levites came out and praised God in a loud voice. They got up early in the morning and went out to the valley of Tekoa. And as they went, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. Verses 18 through 22, they began singing uh, the praises of God. And God began to put ambushes out against all their enemies and defeated them. This brings me an example of something that happened during the time of the pandemic. We weren't allowed to be together with our brethren, to, to come together, to praise God, and to worship Him together. Now the pandemic is nearly over, and I'm aware that there are still Even brothers and sisters that are having a hard time coming back together to worship God. In Brazil, I've had an opportunity to speak with some brothers and sisters who are finding it difficult to be together for worship and public worship, perhaps for fear. I don't know for sure. But these same brothers, I see them at the supermarket. They manage to go to restaurants. They go do about their daily routines. But suddenly, they can't be together with other brethren worshiping God. The people here came together with Jehoshaphat to worship and to praise God. In Second Chronicles 20, verse 30, we see the great result of all of this. The realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, peaceful, for his God gave him rest all around. Amen. All of this was a result of the action of the people of Jehoshaphat's action, their action in placing their confidence in the Lord. I'd like just for a moment to go back and look at Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It's reminding that we looked at this last week in the lesson. The disciples are in the midst of a storm. I'd like to look at the idea of this storm at exactly what we went through with the pandemic or any other problem that comes up that we just can't deal with on our own. The storms can come over a country in our own lives, but the important thing is who's with us in the boat and the way that God positions himself before all of the storms. Verse 38 of Mark 4 tells us that Jesus was sleeping in the boat on a pillow. 
The text wasn't written to show us that God doesn't care about our difficulties. It's really written to show us that God's ready to give us the security that we need. Imagine that we're traveling together in a boat. Jesus is with us. While we're entering into despair, and he's just showing how tranquil and confident he is, that we're secure with him. Jesus recognized their problem in verse 40. He said, why are you so fearful? How do you not have faith? Sometimes the problem is we don't have faith and confidence in the Lord to face up to difficulties and continue worshiping God while we do it. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 to 25, Hebrews writer is trying to encourage the brethren to be together and, and stirring one another up. Our assemblies are for this. They're to help us to stir each other up to love and good work, to worship God together with thankfulness, recognizing He is the one who cares for us. Hebrews 10, 22 to 25. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I'm extremely uh, encouraged when I'm with other brethren. And I hope that I'm encouraging others so that they can continue strong in this walk on our way to eternity. Let's look at some applications. God restored Job's losses in double. You see that in Job 42.10. Job lived for another 140 years after his suffering. Job didn't ask for riches. This lesson is that God is the one who restores the things they've lost. He restored his life. And God is the one who restores our life. Takes us out of the, the mud and the muck of sin and gives us a promise of life that's eternal. When we what pray to God, we can do like Jehoshaphat. Let's remember his promises. He promised to be with us in all times till all eternity. It's a promise that he made, and he's faithful to his promises. Just like uh, King Jehoshaphat, who had peace because God gave him rest all around, we who are his servants can also deal with the storms that come up in our lives. What we need to do is to do what Peter told the brethren. We need to be sober, vigilant, service of God. We must always be aware that the devil is our adversary, that he wants to remove our focus from God, wants to distract us with the things of the world. He wants us to lose our interest in serving God, and we cannot allow that to happen. We must resist. The God who perfected Jehoshaphat and Job, Peter says, is the same God that who can make us perfect, established, strengthened, and settled after a little bit of suffering. You don't know how much I would love to see all of these brethren that are, that are not here, that are away, perhaps the ones in Brazil that are away because of the pandemic, how much I would love to see them believe in this. Perhaps during the pandemic, our faith was, was struggling a bit, but God is capable of perfecting us, establishing us, strengthening us, and settling us. To Him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Before we close out, Carl, there's a couple of readings I would like to share. Second Chronicles chapter 6 practically is what shows us why all these things made sense in Jehoshaphat's life. Second Chronicles 6, 28 to 31. Solomon had built the temple, and this text is his prayer. Second Chronicles 6, 28 to 31. When there is famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when their enemies besiege them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows his own burden and his own grief and spreads out his hands to this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of the sons of men, that they may fear you, 
to walk in your ways as long as they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. 2 Chronicles 7, verses 14 to 16. God is entering into a, uh, a covenant with Solomon. After Solomon's prayer, this is his response. 2 Chronicles 7, 14 to 16. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Jehoshaphat was certain of this. He knew this was one of God's promises. We ought to have the same certainty. That God who makes his promises is faithful to take care of each one of us and to bring us into his presence in eternity. To close out with Psalm 146, verses 5 and 6. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever.